And in terms of organization, I think that the most important thing is kind of understanding where you can add value and where you cannot. I think I, I see this a lot with owners and I guess managers to a point as well, where they kind of want to touch everything in the business. And it's like, you know, you're not good at everything. <laughs> no one's good at everything in a business. Absolutely not. So for me, you know, at the start of opening maybe my first venue when we only had one, yes, I definitely had the time to be across a lot more. But as we grew out the businesses and now with Worksmith is I've understood really quickly that the quickest way to get really stressed is to try and have input in everything that happens in the business. Do you love your business? You should, right? Well, sometimes we just don't. It's my hope that this, the My Daily Business Coach podcast, helps you regain a little of that lost love by providing tips and tactics, tools, insights, inspiration, all the good stuff to help you actually enjoy running your business. In addition to actionable tips and tactics that you'll be able to execute immediately, you'll also hear from creative small business owners around the world who've been able to sidestep the hustle and build a business that merges their passion with their purpose and provides a profit. I'm your host, Fiona Kalaki, founder of My Daily Business Coach. Let's get going. Hello and welcome to episode 202 of the My Daily Business Coach podcast. Today, you are listening to an interview with an incredible small business owner, someone I was really, really lucky to have on the podcast and someone I just... I was taking so many notes, honestly, in this interview (laughs) and I told him that afterwards. I was like, oh my goodness, there was just so many tips and ideas and ways of thinking that I think are just really inspiring. And as a fellow small business owner, obviously with very different business to my guest, actually he has multiple businesses, but yeah, I just found it really refreshing to talk to him about his business. He was very open and honest and humble and genuine. And yeah, it's just my absolute pleasure to have him on the podcast. But before I get stuck into that great interview, I just want to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians on the beautiful land on which I record this podcast. I meet my guests, I work, I play, I raise my kids. It is the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and they are the traditional owners. And I just pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. My guest today is actually Michael Bashetta, and he also comes from Melbourne and Wurundjeri land. And I met Michael because we were both invited into a focus group for a payment platform. And we were on Zoom. It was the evening. There was four of us as business owners brought into this kind of I mean, one of the other business owners sort of laughingly said, isn't this just therapy that we're all doing tonight? But yeah, really talking about why we're in business, how business has changed over the time. And I didn't know anything about Michael when he turned up on the call. All I knew is that he was in the sort of restaurant hospitality world. And he was just absolutely delightful. Such nice guy. The amount of businesses that he's running and the type of like you know, they're very stressful, high pressure environments that he's running. And yet he was so willing to chat. He was so willing to be really open and really vulnerable about his own journey. And obviously we were talking about the business, you know, during the pandemic in this, in this kind of focus group that we were invited in to do. And I just thought he was just such a nice guy. And afterwards, you know, the four of us all said, yeah, we'll all stay in touch. And 
he and I kind of connected again on Instagram and I just said, I'd love to have you on the podcast. I think you just shared so much in that conversation and I think it would be really, really helpful for my audience. And he was such a nice guy and I was like, yes, of course, I'd love to come on. So he did. And I didn't realize that when we were recording this, he was smack bang in the middle of like a huge launch. And just even the fact that he, you know, said, yep, I'm going to do it on this date and stuck to that regardless of what else was going on. I was like, oh my goodness, this guy is super nice and super legit and super professional. And I just think he is a wealth of information. So who am I talking about? I'm talking about Michael Buschetta. And he is the co-CEO and co-founder of Worksmith, which he gets into in this podcast, what exactly is Worksmith. And just that alone would be enough. But as a result of Worksmith, he is also looking after Homegrown, Melbourne Cocktail Festival and Stella Coffee, which are separate brands. And then in addition to that, (laughs) he is co-owner of Bar Liberty, who doesn't know that incredible place. Capitano in Carlton, which is a beautiful restaurant, and Falco Bakery, which if you've not been, you have to go and try their bagels and all their baked goods. So, so good. And if you're not from Melbourne, definitely put these places on, you know, destination to come to when you come and visit Melbourne because they're absolutely amazing. But yeah, Michael runs a lot of stuff. And in addition to that, he's also a dad. And I actually asked him about that. And I love that his response said, you know, he's been interviewed many, many times, obviously, given, you know, the kind of restaurants and businesses that he's had for a long time. But he said, people haven't asked me that. And what I think is interesting is that I don't think there's a woman out there listening to this who is a mum and a business owner who does not get asked about the juggle. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to ask him. He has two young kids. How does it all work? And he has a partner who's also very busy in her own right and doing incredible things. So I had to ask him that. But in addition to that, we talk about everything from how do you not micromanage staff? And also he's so young as well. How did you start this? Like, did you have heaps of investment? Did you have lots of capital? How have you gone about helping your community? And as he talks it through, Worksmith is just such an incredibly community-driven creation. It is really helping other people that potentially others could see as their competitors, but he's helping people in hospitality grow their businesses as well. It's sort of that mentality that, you know, like the quote of a rising tide raises all boats or brings all boats, or I can't remember the exact quote, but I feel like that is really Michael's essence in him is you know, if I grow, you grow. And if I can help you, you know, not make the same mistakes that I've had, or if I can help you have the opportunities that I've been able to have, then I'm all for it. And and I just think that even comes across in the fact that he said yes to his podcast. He said yes to this focus group that we were both in. He's very honest. He's very real. And I think that's just who he is. And obviously that comes across in his many businesses. But yeah, we talk about staff, we talk about how do you get out of your own way and so many other great, great things. So thank you so much, Michael, for coming onto the podcast. And I just know that we're going to get so many DMs and emails about this particular one because there are just so many insights and and real, really, really good advice. So thank you again, Michael, for coming on. We will link to all of the various businesses that Michael is involved in in the show notes. And yeah, here it is, my interview with the incredible Michael Bichetta. Hello, Michael. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Yeah. How are you feeling today? And also, can you let us know where you are meeting us from? Uh, I'm 
in Worksmith, so just in Smith Street in Collingwood. So it's our, our co-working space. We started about five years ago now. Feeling good. We're day one of a seven-day festival that we organise called Melbourne Cocktail Festival. So I always say getting to this day is kind of the work's done, although there's a <laughs> there's you know 20 plus events ahead of us over the next seven days. So there's a fair bit of going out and connecting with all the venues we work with, but it's it's great to get to, to day one. Wow, congratulations. And also thank, thank you. you for doing this in the middle of such a busy week. <laughs> so, no, no worries. And so can I ask, do you have a favorite cocktail? Or is that like, oh Oh, it's hard. That's really hard. We have a cocktail company as well, so it'd be really, if I didn't say one of those, that would be good either, would it? (laughs) No, I do like spritzes as a default because they're lighter, lower ABV drinks and a lot of our cocktails in the cocktail company, homegrown, are of that ilk. So they're all sub-10%, mostly all ones are sub-10% alcohol, so pretty fresh and and easy going. And in the same sort of line, my favourite drink probably be a Garibaldi. So I'd say... It, you know, orange juice and Campari, but like delicious. It's the best possible breakfast juice you could imagine. Mm. That would probably be my favorite. Oh, nice one. Have you heard of a brand called Leone? 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 Leone, no. It's like an Italian, one of my clients runs a lovely little bar called Bar Carlo and they have a beautiful, yeah, um, yeah it's kind of like Campari and what's the other one that a lot of people drink that's like Italian? Oh, my gosh, now I've got a mental blank. Aperol, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like those two, I think, mixed. Apparently, I don't know, I don't drink alcohol. I'm like, you're your, not your customer sometimes, Michael, but it sounds amazing. We've actually got a non-alc cocktail coming out in about a month, so we're pretty excited about that. So that's that's Daniel Early. Yes, totally. And I'm seeing so much more of that happening at the moment. But speaking of homegrown and, I mean, you just do so many things. I really, really (laughs) am looking forward to hearing how you do all of those things. But, yeah, you have all these businesses, Falco, Bar Liberty, Capitano, Worksmith, like so many. Can you talk Mm. us through, like briefly, how they each started because you have so many? And then did you start one and just sort of build on it? How have they all kind of come about? Totally. So we, we started one and then and I guess the, my my life's kind of split into two, my business life anyway. We've got Madewell Group, which is the, the hospitality venue. So Bar Liberty, Capitano, Falco Bakery, and then Worksmith on the other, which is you know, Worksmith Group, which includes homegrown drinks, Melbourne Cocktail Festival and Stella Coffee under that umbrella. And Madewell Group was the first to be formed. So six years ago, we opened Bar Liberty. The genesis for that was, you know, I was working at Attica at the time for a number of years in, in management and the timing was right for me to leave and it wasn't planned at all. But my manager at the time, Banjo, was leaving at the same time and our other business partners had found this site around the corner from their current business in Collingwood. And we knew that we wanted to do something wine focused that was a lot of fun, kind of getting away from, you know, the fine dining venues that we'd worked in in the past and work it somewhere and open something that was less stuffy and more accessible to people and that's how I guess Bar Liberty was born six years ago and then off the back of that you know Bar Liberty a lot of people think is a small venue because of you know the front room you know only seats probably 20 or something people but it's a bit of a rabbit warren and it's actually around 100 seats total and we've been able to build off the back of that business into our second restaurant which was Capitano in Carlton and then further furthermore to that was was you know bringing together Falco Bakery 
about two years ago. And, you know, we opened Falco three months before COVID hit. So the timing was pretty spot spot on, to be honest. Being a bakery during lockdown was actually a good thing. Whilst our other businesses were really difficult, we're able to really just pump a lot of energy into Falco and and really float us through through those periods. Yeah, and then, you know, during that time around when Capitano opened or just before we'd opened Worksmith, so that's separate to my business partners in Madewell Group, so with an old school friend called uh, Roscoe, and Worksmith initially started as a co-working space, food, beverage, and hospitality industries. And it was really, to be honest, meant to be a little side project for me. I was going to focus on the venues. It was going to be a cool space that we could do monthly industry events in, and then that was kind of it. And what we started to see was this incredible community started to be built around our space and people using it as a great touch point for the industry. Our events were really well attended. And then people just started approaching us to do lots of different things from advisory in new developments or hospitality venues to new product development. We've got a drinks lab and and a commercial kitchen as well. So a lot of that R&D sort of opportunities came to us as well. And yeah, things developed further and we we decided to to start Melbourne Cocktail Festival because we saw a real need to boost up the industry in Melbourne. We felt that whilst we had some great cocktail bars, there wasn't anything that was really celebrating these in a, in a collective manner. And we're in our third year now. And you know, as I said, going to third festival today, which we're really excited about having over 40 venues involved and over 20 events throughout this week. Wow. I love how you just roll all this off as if it's no big thing. <laughs> we opened this bar and then we opened this and then we had this and now we have a drink. Yeah. Lab. I mean, a drinks lab. Is that is that like 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 almost like chemists in there mixing drinks? I mean, well, we've got some pretty crazy equipment in there. The idea of the drinks lab and the commercial kitchen to an extent as well is basically providing, like basically democratising the access to that sort of equipment for bartenders or chefs. So a lot of the, the cost of the equipment is really high in both the kitchen and the drinks lab. And a lot of people want to have access to these sort of things but can't afford the upfront cost initially. So that's why we we built them basically. And what's in you know the drinks lab, we've got you know a rotary evaporator system which is basically does cold distillation. There's only five or six of them in Australia. Wow. Pretty ridiculous, but you know it's bartenders you know, they, they love playing with these sort of pieces of equipment and extracts incredible flavours and you're able to use those in your drinks. But everything from, you know, that sort of really complex piece of equipment down to a thermomix, like just all these things in one spot for, for the industry to use. And then we have people that use it for beverage product development. So off the back of having access to that and amazing people in our community, Homegrown was born last year. You know, during lockdown, as many, many people started creating things during lockdown. For us, it was a bit of a uh, riding on the wall moment. So, you know, COVID really affected us. Obviously, being a co-working company that focused on the hospitality industry, like two of the worst hit <laughs> areas, uh, worst hit industries. So we intercept both. And we looked at, you know, what do we want to do in the future? What was going to ultimately help more people? So we really split the, the the company into kind of two main areas, one being an industry support piece and the other one being product-based, uh, products that could scale. So the industry support piece is the industry membership, which helps venues with buying power and access to great industry events. 
So we've got 60 venues in Melbourne that are on that industry membership and growing. And then the second piece being, you know, the scaling product. There's two things there. One is stellar coffee. And then the other one is homegrown drinks. And homegrown was all about really giving venues access to great Australian spirit producers and enabling them to execute cocktails at scale. So cocktail culture has just taken off over the last few years. And venues that there would just some venues that would never dream of selling hundreds of cocktails on the weekend, you know, even like pub style venues are suddenly doing that. And, you know, given the staffing crisis that's ongoing, we found ourselves in a point of time that homegrown made a lot of sense. Wow. This is all massive. And so did you come from, I know you've got business partners and you said you started, you know, you were at Attica, but did you come from a family that was, that was restaurant owners? Were they super into food? Like how did you just go from, mm. yes, I manage a restaurant to, okay, I'm sure. this and this and this. Yeah. So you know family history of hospitality really in, in the you know, business ownership sense, which I, I get that question a lot and I'm not sure how I've managed to find myself in, the, in this position <laughs> so early. And I guess I find that it's an interesting thing. People were talking about, you know, how much experience you need to open a, a business or, you know, what you need in your sort of arsenal of tools to, to be able to achieve it. And I, I said directly to them, it's like, it's either you're completely ignorant to it all or you're incredibly experienced. Don't be in the middle. <laughs> and I was definitely down the ignorant end of town when I opened my first venue. Like, yes, I'd been managing restaurants, but apart from a couple of years sort of TAFE course when I was 18 around hospitality, I didn't do any sort of more formal business training at all or wasn't exposed to the operational side of businesses during my management period over the sort of 20 to 25. And I think that's a big issue in the industry is that managers aren't really given oversight of profit and loss sheets or anything deeper than that from the financial side of the business or legal or whatever else, they're kind of tasked with managing the restaurant and that's it. So when you do make that jump, it's like, I had no idea. I was really lucky. I had a one a couple of business partners had been in business before. So that, that certainly helped. And then a lot of it's kind of single swim stuff. And I just kind of swam like mad for a lot Ooh. of that time. And I think, you know, on, on the family side, I, uh, you know, Italian family kind of classic, upbringing in the sense of being around a lot of food so you know just a couple of weeks ago we did our annual sauce making day with family that we do every year and i really love love that stuff and now my kids are starting to see that which is which is really cool and we do sauce every year we do sausages and all these traditional things and you know i was i grew up around a lot of a lot of food my my nonna and my mum taught me a lot about cooking and I guess like in the hospitality, in the sense of what I thought hospitality was growing up was not so much about you know, hospitality businesses. It was kind of the art of looking after people. Mm. And when I was probably younger teens, I used to get pretty disgruntled when I was kicked out of my bedroom if cousins came to stay over or friends <laughs> the family or whatever. Um, and whereas now I look back on that and think, well, it, it was always about ensuring that your guests were as comfortable as they they can be and everything in terms of how we cook for people and always always have people over uh, when I was growing up like always had lots of friends over eating and even to my 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 grandmother's house my nonna's house to the point where a lot of them called her nonna as well which is oh. really funny and we've you know I still have great memories of being at house parties as a mid-teenager 16 17 and turning up to her house 
for late night snacks with my friends <laughs> and she would be in the freezer getting food out and cooking for us and it's yeah incredible sort of experience growing up around food and I always wanted to be a chef from an early age and I'm not sure what happened to be honest I think got to, to 18 and it kind of just happened that I went to the other side of the pass and ended up in front of house rather than the kitchen. Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Your nonna sounds like a wonderful woman, as does your whole family. I had a similar yeah. thing with my parents where, yeah, it was mm-hmm. always an abundance of food, an abundance of wine, like make sure everyone feels loved and looked after when they leave totally. my house. My, like probably totally. the worst insult you could ever say to my mum is like someone was hungry when they left. <laughs> oh, my God. It'd be like an absolute travesty. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> and so when you said you wanted to be a chef, can I put you on the spot? I asked this of Julia Ostro as well. What is your go-to quick meal, especially because you have kids? Like I was saying to her, do you ever just eat eggs on toast for dinner? You've, was- really, you've really put me on the spot, especially saying, saying you asked Julia Ostra the same thing. <laughs> like, she's she's like, and I was like, do you have eggs and toast for dinner sometimes? She's like, no. And I was like, oh, okay. That's what we have in our house sometimes. That's our go-to. Oh, Mushrooms, well, whatever. I'll tell, I'll tell you now, I hope... Yeah, not that Julie listened to my episode, but I know she, she goes to my bakery a bit, so I, I very much appreciate that. I do have eggs and toast sometimes. <laughs> my partner's actually a chef as well, oh, so amazing. we've got a lot of food and drink in our house and we do sometimes kind of give up when the you know it's been a long day and we've been out and the kids are hungry, kind of do what you got, you got to have to do, do what you have to do. But my quick go-to it's all like it's kind of sad because it's all, it's always pasta, right? It mm-hmm. has to be. It's like three ingredient pasta. I just love whether it's just olive oil and garlic, a bit of chili, or you know we make enough sauce <laughs> once one day every year to, to last the year. So you know grabbing a bottle of that sauce and just finishing it with some pancetta or something like that. It takes you know from from turning the pan on. And, and cooking the pasta off, you can have dinner up in like 15 minutes and it's delicious. And I could eat that, honestly, three times a week if I was allowed to. <laughs> oh, so nice. Oh, my God, that's making me think, oh, maybe we'll have that for dinner tonight. Yeah. And so you obviously have a great passion for what you do and it's so evident in the way that you talk. And, of course, it comes across in your just even the idea of Worksmith and helping other people to you mm-hmm. know, not let that passion die. But I'm wondering because, you know, you've got creativity and passion, but you also have a million people to manage. You had so many lockdowns. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine what it must have been like. And you've got different types of businesses as well. It's not like you've got yeah. four, four hair salons that are doing the exact same thing. Totally. So I'm wondering, like, with so much going on, how do you stay organised or, like, even just sane? I don't know if I stay sane, so people will probably argue that I'm not that sane. <laughs> it's, it's quite difficult because it's kind of always interchanging, different, wearing different hats, basically. So looking at the venues, you know, they're ultimately they're small businesses and whilst we are growing Falco, so we're opening another Falco bakery soon and we see that as something we want to grow out further, We I see them as you know, my small businesses, albeit there's three of them. And then with Worksmith, ultimately it's a startup. So it's a very different mindset in terms of how we get investment, how we grow the company, lots of different things under the company, always changing and moving, and which is really interesting. And whilst, you know, full-time I'm at Worksmith and you know, generally at Worksmith, and then I have the venues kind of on top of that. And in terms of organisation, I think that the most important thing is, kind of understanding where you can add value and where you cannot. I think I, I see this a lot with owners and I guess 
managers to a point as well where they kind of want to touch everything in the business. And it's like, you know, you're not good at everything. <laughs> no one's good at everything in a business. Absolutely not. So for me, you know, at the start of opening maybe my first venue when we only had one, yes, I definitely have the time to be across a lot more. But as we grew out the businesses and now with Worksmith is I've understood really quickly that the quickest way to get really stressed is to try and have input in everything that happens in the business, especially with all the things going on and the multiple business owners and great managers. It's just, you just burn out pretty quickly. So for me, it's just about separating that out, understanding where you can really dive in and add a lot of value and where you can really allow someone else to come in and and help you with different parts of the business and trust, honestly, like give people around, around you the trust and ability to do something because you've hired them for a reason. You, you trusted them at the start. It's like allowing them to come in a bit deeper into the business and, and taking over things that perhaps you're not that good at. And I think finally, like outsourcing is, has been a bit of a re- revelation for us at Worksmith recently is, you know, getting help in smaller parts of the business that you might not have the resource to, to hire a full-time person for, but you can get someone in a day a week that can consult for you and they can be a huge stress reliever. And then suddenly you're thinking about sort of bigger picture stuff in the business and that pays dividends over time. Wow. You have, we could have just asked you that one question for this podcast. And that would have been enough value. <laughs> I just love it. I love that idea of where can I add value and where can I not? Because it is so tempting to be part of every single part. Uh, Totally. It's like the fun stuff as well, like shoots or, you know, branding or like all the fun parts as well. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be part of that and not necessarily do the tedious stuff that might actually be the one, the things that get bigger impact on the business. Yeah, totally. I think for me, like I'm lucky that I, I'm actually on the side of the business that is kind of the fun stuff. So the cocktail Mm -hmm. festival and branding and all that sort of stuff, that's Mm -hmm. kind of on, on my part. But I think also what, people miss out on doing the most. The first thing that falls away when you're too busy is strategy. Mm. And if you lose that part of your your time or you're not setting aside time to do that, then you're always playing catch up and you're always just task orientated rather than strategy orientated. Oh, my God, more gold. Thank you so much. (laughs) And speaking about, you know, really understanding what's valuable or what's important to do, I wanted to ask this because you're a dad and I can say that every single Mm. time I'm on anything, I get asked the same question. I don't think many Women always get asked it. Yes, women always get asked this, which is how do you juggle being a parent with Mm. so many things because you've just got so many responsibilities? How does that work? Mm. Thank you for the question because uh, I've been on quite a few podcasts <laughs> mm-hmm. over the last little while and I've never been asked that question. Mm-hmm. And they usually know that I'm a father. Yeah. 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 I think it's just, it's, oh my goodness, I could go on and on and on about this, but yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting. So I used to, I guess over the years, and this is from lots of different people, whether it's my own mother or other people in my life where they see what I'm doing or, or the, the extent of what I'm doing in business is that, when are you going to slow down or when are you going to, we're going to have to do less one day. It's like, well, my week is already full, right? So if I do more things, then it's kind of like I just need to get better at managing my time. And a a friend of mine who's helped me with these sort of areas in the past sort of said to me, and it kind of just clicked when he said it, was it's not so much about emptying some buckets, so your, your work, like reducing your workload, it's about you know filling up the other buckets of your life 
And that kind of clicked with me because at the time I wasn't doing anything that was good for my you know, physical or mental health. I wasn't connecting enough with my friends outside of work. And then, of course, you know, first and foremost, wasn't making enough time for family. This was kind of early days when our first, when my first order arrived. And that was four years ago. And then, you know, going through the process of, you know, COVID lockdowns and things getting harder, certainly not easier, was that it kind of dawned on me it was sort of now or never to really dig into how I was going to improve my you know the classic the classic sort of work life balance thing I don't love that phrase yeah, mm-hmm. but what I do like is about you know what are you doing outside of work to ensure that you're at your peak in whatever you whatever you do so if if I'm not looking after myself mentally or physically then I can't be there enough for my family because I'll be stressed out and I'll be concerning myself with things in work outside of work that I shouldn't be concerning myself with or and as soon as I fix that part of not it's not fixed you know I'm working on it and done a lot of work on it in terms of physical mental health is suddenly I feel so much better at work so I get more done at work and have had the headspace to do so this knock-on effect of that is huge because then when I'm at home I have that space and I'm, I'm able to look at you know when is it time to work and when is it time to you know, completely switch off and turn on do not disturb and just be there for for my partner and our two two children. And over the last you know couple of years now, I've been able to do that and see the the effect of it. And I've you know I couldn't have imagined, you know, maybe pre having kids that I'd have the time to be there for bath time and be there for dinner and as much as possible. And now there's rarely you know, maybe one night a week I'll miss bath time and I hate myself for it because <laughs> oh. I know how, like, for me, that's my favourite part of my day, getting home, having dinner with them, bath time, bedtime, because that's where I guess the, the the most connections made. And if you're not there for that, I think you're just missing such an incredible part of childhood really and, and parenting. Yeah, I love that advice that that person gave you about not thinking of it as like emptying other things but filling up you know, the important part. Yeah, totally. I'm not about to get out of all my businesses. Mm. You know, it's just not going to, even if I decided that right now, it would take so long to do that, number one. But number two is like ultimately it wouldn't make me happy. And if I'm not happy in my work life, then I'm probably not going to be happy in my home life off the, back, off the back of that if I decide to do a job that I'm not happy with. I don't think that yeah. helps anyone. No. And I like, like, I'm like you, I don't really believe in the work-life balance, but I think of work-life mm integration they have to me too totally together because they're not separate anymore you know it's not like in our parents day where they could just you know we could have a mobile phone you could email you've got yeah you're on and so you mentioned before that you get to do some of the fun stuff like the branding and the creativity and you know that sort of part and I'm wondering because you seem to just I'm sure it doesn't feel like this at at times but you seem to keep opening things and they work and you've Mm. had things for a long time now I mean especially in hospitality Mm. land where things you know fail quickly Mm. often and so I'm wondering with kind of the branding do you like look at things or or do you not even just the branding but everything that you put out say like Falco Bakery I was in there recently and it's just beautiful like it looks beautiful it's very Instagrammable Mm. (laughs) the food is beautiful (laughs) everything's lovely and it's like so do you look at sort of trend reports or do you do you have like a consultant or how do you keep getting it right Mm. so often well first of all I've had 
I've had plenty of stuff ups, that's for sure. And in terms of trend, like I don't look at anything really on the basis of I'm not going to look at them and then open a concept off the back of looking at trend reports. For me, it's being ahead of trends, really. I think if you start to respond to those sort of reports or or things like that, then you kind of already missed the boat in my mind. It's about being connected to industry. Like, I, I you know, honestly, have, since doing Worksmith, it's been a complete accident in terms of what I get out of it personally and professionally is getting an incredible oversight of the industry of what's happening now, what people are doing in the industry, what sort of concepts are coming up or, you know, in the drinks side of things, you know, suddenly people are drinking low and no alcohol and that's growing at an exponential rate, beer slowly declining. And you kind of learn that through sort of bits and bobs. And then it's kind of affirmed once you read a, tra- you read a report and you're like, ah, oh, that's exactly what I was thinking. And I see the data off the back of it. You're like, okay, this is confirmed. <laughs> what can we do about it? Or how can we play into it? And I think in the restaurants in particular, sorry, it was looking at, and each one of them have has that sort of story. Like Bar Liberty, when we opened six years ago, there was only a couple of real mainstay wine bars that opened have, were opened in Melbourne at the time, and there wasn't any sort of new blood coming through. And we like we love wine and had that background in, in drinks. And you know, we thought if we opened a great wine bar with great music and and great people around it, then it, w- it would work. And evidently, it did. And then Capitano, it was the same thing, but with Italian. It was like let's open it. When I told people I was opening an Italian restaurant in Carlton, I got laughed at so many times <laughs> and would not believe. But again, we thought it was it was time for new blood to come into Carlton. And since then, there's been you know, you know, two brands that have opened since us, so Leonardo's and now Destazio in Carlton, both new wave pizza shops, and they're you know packed out as a way. So there's certainly you know appetite for that. And then Falco, it was at a time when there were some great small bakeries sort of popping up around different cities that we love. So not just just Melbourne, but my partner's from London. So spending a bit of time over there and seeing what was happening there and looking at our immediate area on Smith Street, we're just like, you can't get a good loaf of bread here. It's crazy. So there was, again, the timing piece. And then we opened at about the same time as three or four other great bakeries that have popped up since. So it's, yeah, it's really about straddling that line of, you know, it is hospitality is risky, but if you know what's happening in the industry and you know what consumers are kind of leaning towards, then you're going to reduce that risk quite a lot. Mm, oh my goodness! I have a question because your partner, and again, I'm putting you on the spot. Sorry, yes, <laughs> young children, and your partner is a chef, and you're in this industry. Who mm. makes the birthday cakes, or do you get? To- <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not me. Okay. My partner, my partner is a pastry chef. Oh, okay. <laughs> slash chef slash baker slash (laughs) so I don't think she'll hand over the reins for that for a while to be honest Uh, (laughs) it's just occurring to me when you were talking about all of this but going back to the seriousness I mean birthday Mm. cakes are serious these days they are serious they are very serious I did another episode recently on branding and how restaurants and bars have to be exceedingly good at this, not just the visual branding, but the way, you know, the customer service happens and even like down to the toilets that you go into and every single part of it from, you know, what you see outside, what you see on social media, 
how easy it is to book, all of it is so, so important. And businesses, it's just so easy to see it in your industry versus say some other industries. And I'm wondering with the branding specifically, how did that happen for each of them? I know you talked about you were looking around at what's happening in the industry and that's how you create concept. But yeah, did you work with people? Did you just sort of, how did you create the whole brand? I was, again, this is one of the things I was really naive going into doing the branding for Liberty. I was like, just give us a logo and we'll get going and open open a restaurant. Mm. But I didn't really have any understanding of the wider idea of what branding in a restaurant or a venue was. And you've just touched on all of them <laughs> from mm. everything from when the person, when the, when someone looks at your branding on their website to social media to how you communicate on email to is it easy to book, all these things you're touching on, right to when they open the door in the restaurant, what do they see? And, you know, Liberty was very lo-fi to the point where we spray-painted the old sign that was hanging at the front. It was an old taco place we took over and we just spray-painted it because we we had a sign coming or it was going to be ordered and everyone kept looking up at the old sign before we opened thinking it was probably a taco place still. So we just sprayed and paid Liberty over the top. Great, that's a placeholder and let's get the other one printed once we open because we didn't have any money. We were completely broke. And as time went on, it came really evident that that spray-painted sign became our brand mm. because everyone was just like, you can't change it now because it was written about in every article that came out when we first opened. Then... Yes, we're starting to really hook onto that idea. And it was in Fitzroy. It's in Fitzroy. It's like it kind of all fits, right, when you think about um, it. And a lot of people were like, oh, it's such a good idea. It's like that was not part of the plan at all. <laughs> and I kind of touch, I touch on that sort of small stories because I understand that to be part of our wider brand now. Mm. And I think that's really important to, to find those little nuggets of gold and really shine a light of them for people to see. And then off the back of that, is then went to Capitana. We did a bit more brand work before opening. So looking at the type of customer that we were trying to attract, understanding what we were as a restaurant in terms of, you know, what type of pizza and pasta we were going to do and what style of food it was within that sort of Italian umbrella and coming up with the name off the back of that and, and, and the branding. So there's a lot more work that's been, been done there. And then again, the same thing with Falco. It's been a really interesting process with Homegrown. Our cocktail brand is it's you know very obvious that it's in its name in terms of what we stand for. It's 100% Australian spirits and we have this ethos around putting more Australian spirits into, into people's hands in our own home country. And you know the branding off the back of that was really interesting because we had such clarity around what the product was or mm. is and, and what, what we stood for that it made the branding process a lot easier than other sort of processes I've been through. Mm, I love that you've taken us through that journey because I think, you know, I'll often talk to people that are like, oh, you know, I'm going to spend X amount of tens of thousands of dollars with an agent. Mm. And sometimes I'm like, just validate the idea first, you know. Totally. I've seen so many people spend a wild amount of money on restaurant branding when they're having their first restaurant. It's like, like, I get why you think you need to do that, but I think it's more about doing some upfront work that won't cost you anything, briefing a designer really well and doing it for a few grand. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with it. Yeah, and there's nothing against branding agencies, but sometimes I, no. you know, if people haven't even thought about the audience or have they tested anything and then it's like, we're going to go and spend a huge amount of these beautiful visuals. And I'm like, that's great, but if it doesn't work, the website doesn't work, like there's all these other things that maybe exactly. 
go into it. And so speaking of that, you know, you talked about going into this when you were, what, 25? Is that right? How old were you when you created? Yeah, we opened Biology when I was, yeah, 25. Wow. And you said I was, you know, one of our business partners had run businesses before, but really you hadn't been able to see everything. You hadn't seen certain past the profit and loss or even that. I'm wondering then, have you had mentors or are there particular books or is there a mantra that you kind of live by Mm. that has helped you with all of these businesses? Not a mentor per se. I've had plenty of people that I've spent small amounts of time with that I have gotten great little nuggets of information and got like guidance, but I wouldn't go as far as to say I've had a, a mentor, sadly, as much as I'd like one. And I guess in terms of like books that have really helped me on the hospitality side, and you know, lots of hospitality people will say, it's especially front of house, is um, a book called Setting the Table by a restaurateur called Danny Meyer. He's got Union Square Hospitality Group in the States, and he also owns Shake Shack. And his is the first time it all kind of came together after a few years in hospitality already and someone recommending me to read this. It just kind of dawned on me as to why I was in hospitality to begin with. It's like how you look after people and people's experiences isn't, you know, not just about the food and drink you put in their hand. It's about how you make them feel and, you know, how to manage staff effectively, how to lead more so than manage really. That was really a, a bit of a revelation for me when I read that. And then one that's, you know, Eckhart Tolle, yeah, The Power of Now, which I know lots of people have out there, probably a lot of your listeners have read or heard of, of Eckhart Tolle. And for me, it's more about, you know, this affects lots of different parts of my life, but in business in particular, it's understanding that the world, like the world doesn't have to be, there doesn't have to always be this tension between your life and what you you deem to be a reward at the end of, of it. It's more about understanding what your day-to-day is and, and focusing on really the now. <laughs> and that's something that I really have struggled with and kind of continue to struggle with is that I'm always, I really struggle to celebrate the wins as you're going along because there's always that bigger mountain to climb. And I think, you know, that's a good thing sometimes because it means it's meant that I've done what I've done in, I guess, six years. But it doesn't allow you to really settle for a moment and be really proud of what you've done. And I guess I've learned and you know, continuing to learn how important that is. And not only for yourself, for your family and for your teams as well, because they see, not that I stop the teams celebrating by any stretch of the imagination, but they see that I don't celebrate as much. And that's definitely not a good thing. And for me, that book has just kind of cemented the fact that at the end of the day, we're here, we're here doing something that we believe to be great. So we should celebrate that every day, really. Mm, thank you for saying that because, yeah, so many people need that reminder. I can't tell you, like I've worked with thousands of small business owners now and the amount of times that I've said to them, oh, that's amazing. Like, how did you celebrate that? And they're like, I didn't, I didn't, I haven't done anything yet. And it'll be huge things sometimes, you know, like small things, maybe like a media article that they wanted to get and then bigger things like, yeah, we launched into the US and it's done more than we thought it would do. And it's like, wow. And people just don't. We just, I think we keep moving the goalposts every time. <laughs> like, oh yeah, we did this, but let's do that now. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And so on the more practical side of things as well, are there any apps or tools you use to like, I don't know, are you all on Slack or WhatsApp or how do you all communicate? Yeah, we totally like Slack is our communication channel of choice. 
we use Asana for our project management and that's kind of used that over the last four years and that's just been a huge help with because we've got so much going on just having a spot to to put everything has been great from a project management side and just working across lots of different projects it's definitely helped and they're kind of the main two that we just live in to be honest and whilst i say that they've been really important i can't say how important it is just to get on the bloody phone sometimes and chat to people directly like slack has this way of where anything written has a way of taking the, you know, takes the tone out of it completely and people can take things the wrong way. Like just sometimes better to get on the phone rather than Slack or email and communicating with people directly can ultimately save you more time than you think it will. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes people think, oh, I'll just fire all this information off and you're like, oh, that was taken the wrong way or that person didn't receive, whatever it is, it's like, oh, if you had had a two-minute conversation on the phone, you would have got that across and now you're not backtracking. So whilst I love all the platforms and apps, I think, again, there's there's something to be said about pretty old-school communication. Yeah, and I think they have this thing that every every time you send an email, expect up to five back. So you actually think you're getting, you know, if you do inbox zero, you're like, yay, but you're actually getting like, you know, thousands back because you've shot these things off as opposed to, like you say, just picking up the phone, getting it sorted and it's done. And then there's no emails. Great. Yeah, there's no emails. There's no (laughs) emails. And so I could imagine you have a long list of answers for this next question, but yeah, I would love to know what are you most proud of from your journey in business so far? It was kind of like I said before, I struggle to be proud of things. So that's that's definitely a down. <laughs> sucks on my side. But I think just, I think it was Bill Gates that said you'd be, what does he say? You'd be upset what you could do in a year, but you'll be surprised what you do in 10 years. I butchered mm-hmm. that, but that's kind of the crux of what he said. Yeah, we underestimate. Yeah. For me, what I and my business partners have done in six years, I'm really proud of, especially going through COVID and coming out the other side stronger is probably what I'm most proud of. Yeah. And also in that six years, you've also had two children. So two children in that time as well. So that's been, that's been interesting. The, the, the week works with open was the week that my, um, my first daughter, Maya was born. We don't like to do things in halves really. No, it was a question. It was really bad timing on, um, works in part, not, not the baby's (laughs) part, but um, works in part. Yeah. For me, it's just like, I've got a lot of friends that are like, oh, I'm not quite ready to have kids. And like, man, you were never ready. Trust yeah. me. You just got to do it if you want to do it. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. I could not agree more. And so if yeah. people have been listening to this and maybe they're in the hospitality industry or maybe they're just completely inspired by what you say and they have a different industry, where can they connect with you? And also what is next for you? It sounds like you've got so much stuff going on. So connection-wise, it's on LinkedIn, Michael Bichetta. Instagram is at Michael Peppy, so Michael P E P I Peppy, and then you can you know, search Worksmith or Homegrown Drinks and see what we're up to over there. What's next? It's you know really we're in this amazing time period where you know Homegrown has this great opportunity to work with a lot of great venues in Australia and abroad. So over the next few months, you certainly see a lot more Australian cocktails getting around through Homegrown Drinks, which we're really excited about, and then you know, more Falco bakeries, which would be great in in a few new neighbourhoods in Melbourne. Amazing. And I'm going to, sorry, put you on the spot for one last question, which is Mm. as someone who's in Melbourne and has experienced Mm. the last 
few years. If you, if somebody in a hospitality industry is listening to this right now, or say events based or wedding cakes or anything that's mm. been completely butchered by the the pandemic and the lockdowns, what yeah. would be your advice? Because you've lived through it. Mm. I think it's like if you believe believe in yourself enough to do whatever you do to begin with, then keep believing yourself to keep doing it. It's mm-hmm. it's pretty simple. It's it's not simple, to be honest. It's pretty hard. But I think we've got a lot of noise in our lives. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a crazy amount of noise in their lives and none of us can really focus very well. So mm-hmm. when you've got all these external things affecting you, whether it's a pandemic or your email getting a thousand, mm-hmm. <laughs> thousand emails in your inbox, is like try and step away from all that for a moment and then understand are you happy with what you're doing and can you imagine yourself doing anything else ultimately? Because if you can't imagine yourself doing anything else, then you're doing the right thing, I think. Mm, Perfect way to wrap this up. Thank you so much for your time, especially on such a busy week, but I imagine most of your weeks are busy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for making time and we'll link to all of that in the show notes. But, yeah, good luck with the rest of the week. No worries at all. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. Thank you. Oh, what? An awesome guy. Like just honestly, just such a lovely person and doing so many different things. And yet somehow, somehow (laughs) there is also a calmness in there and a confidence in there, which is so lovely to see and to hear and to interact with. So thank you again, Michael, for coming onto the podcast. I would love to know what most resonated with you. I mean, there were so many things that I sort of was writing notes on, but the two that really stood out for me were the idea about with the community, really thinking like, how can we help? You know, how can we help our community? And I think especially as we start a business, sometimes we can see everyone in our industry or in our sector as a competitor, as in a, I need to get my elbows out and hustle, hustle, hustle and shove, shove, shove. And instead of seeing them as like, this is just part of my community. And that whole idea that I said at the start about, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. I just think Michael is an example of doing that really, really well. And I love that idea that he talked about of just, you know, how can we help? How can we help? I love that. I love it so much. I sometimes get messages from people, you know, that are in all sorts of I don't know, horrible kind of business challenges or situations. And my first thought is often, how can I help? (laughs) Like, how can I fix this? How can I help you? And I just think the world would be such a better place if we all had that as in a kind of initial reaction. And it's not to say, you know, of course, I have my own share of like comparisonitis and I'm sure that Michael has had that from time to time. But I think if we can kind of push past that and then get curious as to how could I help? How could I, you know, lift up my community Oh, God, imagine what an incredible place the world would be. I also think one of the biggest things that really stood out for me, and it's something that I've actually talked to a number of friends and clients and family about since I recorded this podcast with Michael, is when he talked about where can I add value and where can I not? And that was in relation to managing staff and bringing staff on and growing your business and not needing to be part of every single meeting and every single idea and every single decision. And I love that he said, I don't, firstly, I guess he doesn't want to micromanage people. Also, he doesn't have the time to, to be involved in every single decision. Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to grow all these different businesses that he grows. But I love that he really, really just 
firstly said, I need to think, where can I add value? And if I'm hiring people that are experts in this particular field, I'm not necessarily adding value by just having my opinion heard. I want to let those people do their job and do it really well. So I love that he said, where can I add value? And if I can add value, awesome, I'll be there. But if I can't and I'm just being there for the sake of ego or for the sake of knowing what's going on at every single level, then, you know, it's not adding value to them and it's also not adding value to his life. So I just thought that was awesome, awesome, awesome. And then I know I'm adding three here and usually I just say two, but the other thing that I loved was he talked about this mindset of not having to empty out, you know, not having to get rid of things in our life. Like when you're busy and you've got a lot on, he was just sort of saying it can be really easy to go, you know what, let's, what can I cut? Like what needs to be cut rather than thinking, what can I fill up on? And then by doing so, these other things will naturally sort of be decreased. And so he talked about, you know, making sure that he's home in time for the bath and the bed. And I, as a mum of two young people, people, (laughs) two young, wonderful boys, I, you know, know that feeling myself. I love doing that. I mean, sometimes, of course, it can be a complete headache, especially if everyone's having a tantrum, including myself. (laughs) But I also love that part. I love snuggling and doing the bedtime routine. I love the just little conversations that you hear when your kids are getting ready to go to bed. I just love the the peacefulness that comes at the end of the day. So yeah, I love that his idea of, you know, if I want to be home for those things, because that's what fills up his buckets, then these other things will have to, you know, be somewhat changed or somebody else will have to do them or I have to delegate or automate or eliminate that sort of thing. So yeah, there was so many ideas and I'm going to definitely listen back to this episode probably a few times. So thank you again, Michael Buschetta, for coming on. And if you are keen to connect with Michael, we will list all of the many places (laughs) from Worksmith, Falco, Capitano, Bar Liberty, Homegrown, Stella Coffee. We'll list all of that stuff in the show notes, which you'll be able to find over at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash podcast forward slash 202. This is episode 202. Thank you again, Michael, for coming on. And if you found this useful, I'm sure that Michael would love you to get in touch with him. You can also send me a DM. I'm at my daily business coach or, you know, find Michael over on Instagram. He's Michael Peppy, P-E-P-I, one word. And also when you go to his Instagram, you'll see on his bio just (laughs) all the links to all the other Instagrams of the businesses that he looks after. But yeah, I would love to hear from you and I'm sure that Michael would as well. And yes, if you did enjoy this and you found it useful, we would love it so, so much if you could just take two seconds and leave a review. It just really, really helps other small business owners find this podcast and learn and get these insights and tips from people like Michael as well. Thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the My Daily Business Coach podcast. If you want to get in touch, you can do that at mydailybusinesscoach.com or hit me up on Instagram at mydailybusinesscoach.com.